Welcome to the Go Lead Everything podcast. Do you aspire to become the best leader you can be? Then come along with me and GLE. Faith, love, integrity, courage. Four key values of great leaders all around the world. I'm Phil Swanson, and I'm on a mission to bring you leaders from all walks of life and arm you with the tools and mindset to lead effectively in whatever you are called to do. Are you ready? Because it's time to go lead everything. What is up? It's Phil back again. Today, I have the opportunity to chat with an individual for the first time. I've heard she is an absolute dynamo and has big value to bring which is what we're all about here at Go Lead Everything. And this individual is a franchiser that leads up development at True Rest Float Spa, which is the largest float spa franchise in the world. Mandy joined True Rest team in 2015. She was first exposed to True Rest when leading a youth advisory board for a private equity firm that specialized in early growth franchise investments. She studied economics and corporate strategy at Vanderbilt University, followed by two years of commercial real estate in Nashville. Inspired by True Rest and the vision that they have, she has since relocated a couple times and now is my neighbor down here in Texas as of recently. So I'm super excited for my guest to be on the show today. Mandy Rowe, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So a very diverse history. We were talking a little bit before about, you know, being exposed to a lot of different businesses and obviously franchise is a huge part of that. Share a little bit about your background and your story with our audience and how you got to be in the franchise world like you are today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the franchise part specifically, I have to give 100% of the credit to my dad. He is and always has been um, a big entrepreneur. And so f- as far back as I can remember, I'll say starting in middle school, he owned a really big franchise concept. And to me, franchising was nothing. It was just what my dad went to work and did every day. Right. Um, but you know, I've seen the ups and downs of what it looks like for an entrepreneur. And when the market crashed, he got out of that franchise concept. And at that point, uh, moved on to this private equity firm and I was in college. And that's what got me a little bit more into the background of you know what was a franchise and what industries could you get into with franchising and how quickly could you expand? I wasn't convinced yet that that was anything I wanted to be really involved in. So I went the commercial real estate route and I got licensed in Tennessee. I did it in Texas, in California, really got into the the multifamily brokerage of commercial real estate and did that for a few years, decided that, you know, that really wasn't giving me or fulfilling my passion. It wasn't giving me a lot of excitement. And so by a fluke, filled a position for my dad in this True Rest franchise. And I mean, I'm obsessed with it now. Um, I'm just finishing up my certified franchise executive courses and I probably see myself being in franchising uh, for the rest of my career. Wow, very cool, very cool. So what led you to economics and corporate strategy at Vanderbilt? Yeah, well, I actually started at Tulane in New Orleans because they had a business school and I always knew I wanted to be in business. Uh, in high school, I was, you know, the president of various organizations and just kind of saw myself being an entrepreneur. And so the business school at Tulane was a great program. I didn't love New Orleans that much. And I saw an opportunity to transfer to another school like Vanderbilt. So I jumped on it. Thankfully, I got accepted. 
but the closest uh, parallel they had to a business school was econ. So that was actually just the default to not lose a lot of credits. I gotcha. uh, so ended up in the econ major, but they did have a corporate strategy minor that I was able to jump into. And then I was just a few credits away, a few credits short from having a minor in Spanish as well. So uh, the Spanish culture and language has always been uh, really interesting to me too. Very cool. I married a, a Spanish speaker did and you? I'm, I am the gringo from up North and I, okay. I don't speak any Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> will your daughter now have, or will she be bilingual? Yeah, we, we plan to teach her both. That's awesome. For sure. For sure. I wish I, you know, back in high school, now that yeah, she got me, you pulled the string. Yeah. We, my parents were in music, so they made us do music, hence the guitars. So we, I always opted out of taking a language, which was a requirement, and, and they allowed me to use band and choir as a second language. Um, awesome. So anyway, I digress. Well, I have a, if you don't mind me going on one more tangent, I'll tell you the reason that I love Spanish so much is my mom was hectic with four kids under five. My little brothers are twins. So she needed help. So we hired Pilar and all of my friends know who Pilar is because she moved in with us when I was five, really raised us speaking Spanish and I'm 28. Pilar still lives with my family. She's just never left. So Pilar's like my second mom, but she gets all the credit for making all uh, four of us bilingual or as close to bilingual as we could be. Very cool. That's very cool. So a little birdie told me you have some experience as a college athlete, and I'm curious about your times as an athlete, since we're, we're kind of on the university topic. Can you tell a little bit yeah. about your times as a college athlete? Sure. I mean, you really can't see the way I'm sitting, but I'm tiny. I'm barely five feet tall. So I do really well in gymnastics. That was always what I did growing up. Gymnastics led itself really well to um, cheerleading. So at both Tulane and Vanderbilt, I was a a college cheerleader. It led to a significant amount of injuries, um, but I loved every minute of it. I love school spirit. I know a little bit more about sports now than I did back then, but that's where it all started. Very cool. Very cool. So I'm a college athlete myself, played a little baseball, D2. And, you know, I've always had sports teams and and been around teams. That was really where I started to get leadership experience. And um, I'm just curious, from your athletic experience, are there any strong things that you took away from your time as an athlete, even though, you you know, you dealt with some injuries and things like that? you know, what, what were your main takeaways from your time as an athlete? Yeah, I think the biggest, which is probably super obvious, but I think always important is just learning how to work with a team, um, a very different kind of team where we're not structured in a class with a, you know, set of goals necessarily. It's a little bit more of, you know, we've got to win or we've got to do this, go figure it out. Um, and it's just a new, a new set of people to, to learn how to work with. And so, I would say learning how to, to work on a team um, was a big part of it. And the other part was um, probably just learning how to pivot um, opportunities a lot. When you're on the field, you know, you've got, you know, breaks and timeouts and things that you aren't anticipating and you've got to think on your feet and figure something out. I'm sure you probably saw that in baseball as well, but learning to think on my feet a lot more and, you know, leading a team or following direction from someone else who has a really good idea, I'd say was the other part that, gives you those nerves and that kind of that anxious feeling when you're in front of a large audience, which I think has really paid off for me later in life. Very cool. So how do you like working with your dad? Not many (laughs) people have that opportunity. What's that like? 
I think it's great. My siblings are all so glad that it's me that's working with my dad, not any of them. How many siblings? I'm the oldest of four. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, But I love it. And I've always been a mini Jimbo. Everyone's always told me that growing up. So um, working with him in the beginning was a lot of listening to what he was saying and putting my own spin on it and being able to sell with that same excitement that my dad sells with. Mm -hmm. We've argued plenty of times and (laughs) we end it with a glass of wine. We're all good. Um, Plenty of arguments, but the overarching experience has been phenomenal. Awesome. You know, going back to that sports metaphor, I know the coach's kid always used to take some heat. And so I'm curious how how you've dealt with that and, you know, any perceived nepotism around, you know, your role at, at the true spa. Yeah, no, I mean, nepotism was something that was a big fear for everyone who knew that I was coming onto the team. So they actually sent me out to Phoenix for six weeks before I was allowed to work in the office with my dad because they wanted to see that I was willing to get my hands dirty. I was going to run a spa. I was going to work well with the founder who was based out of Phoenix. And we had a marketing team there and a franchisee support team there. So it made perfect sense for me to go and really learn the brand that way. And thankfully everyone, you know, gave me the thumbs up that they thought I'd be able to represent the brand well. So that was um, a good thing, I think, for everybody. And really once we got into the business, there were a few learning opportunities um, for both of us, I think, where he could sit me down and tell me a lot more candidly where I had opportunity for growth or, um, you know, where he thought I could be doing things better and it didn't have to come in a really formal HR style. and that's, that's been nice to take that. It's also been hard to take that from my dad at certain times. I imagine so. I imagine so. So I know you probably have your dad as one of your mentors, but who are the biggest mentors in your life and how have mentors played a role in your growth? Yeah, absolutely. So he's one, you know, I'd say he's the largest. Um, I mean, both of my parents, I really can't say that, you know, my dad has had a, a heavier pull than my mom. They play such different roles. Um, but when I look back or not even look back, but look currently at, you know, who I look towards, there are a few women in this franchise industry. Um, one of which is a woman that I I consult with right now, who is just a fearless go-getter who I just adore for not only her spirit, but her passion to help other people. And to me, that means a lot. And I'm so grateful, not only for her friendship, for the work that we do together consulting, but for her mentorship. When I have you know, any kind of struggles in any other parts of my life, I have no hesitation to bring them up to her and you know, see what she would do and take that feedback. So shout out to Liz. Uh, she's been a great one to, to work with and I love her as a, as a mentor. Prior to working with Liz, um, you know, a lot of them were just teachers, you know, people in my life who I just relied on, um, again, for, for coaching and for advice. And I had one teacher, particularly in high school, who stood out the most named Dr. Wilson. And God bless him, because I'm sure I was a handful in high school to listen to all the time, but he was an awesome mentor for me. Very cool. Very cool. I'm always intrigued by how people find their mentors. I've, I've become very conscious of being more deliberate with my association and for the majority of my life, all my associations were kind of accidental and, mm. uh, you know, I've just become much more aware about how, you know, how important it is to be, you know, like my father, civil engineer, worked in energy, brother, civil engineer, worked in energy, civil engineer, worked in energy, right? business owner, daughter, franchiser, right. 
now going into all sorts of business and franchising. So, you know, having, having that association is so important. Just, you know, it helps, it helps you expand the limits of, of what you even believe is possible. Right. Absolutely. I mean, how, how do you find them? Then you say more intentionally, are you seeking out people in new industries or people just with matching values? What's your strategy? Well, I started this podcast. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called, <laughs> yeah, this is how I do it. You know, I, I uh, saw this as a huge training opportunity to, to meet people like yourself and um, just have conversations, add value to other people and grow my world of view at the same time. And, uh, you know, it's really been a fun, a fun journey. And I've met some pretty cool people so far. We're only 30, 35 episodes in, but it's, it's been fun. And that's something that just started this year, you know, it was 2020, the year of COVID has, uh, has been an interesting one for sure. Well, and I would say in this year, particularly, I've listened to more podcasts than probably any other time in my life. And I've really dug deep into some, and there's some people that I listen to on a regular basis. who I feel like I should know because I know so much about their life and their candid podcasting. Um, so I think it's a great idea. What are your go-tos podcast wise? So right now, because I'm in Austin and I'm really into holistic wellness and floating, I've been listening a lot to Aubrey Marcus and Dan Engel. Um, I don't know if you've heard of you know, the Aubrey Marcus on it brand, but that one, at least most recently, um, okay. again, it's a lot about the, again, leading holistic lifestyles and looking for different ways like float therapy to do biohacking. And I love biohacking right now. And I knew that Aubrey worked with Dan Engel and with Joe Rogan and Dan's on our board of advisors. So listening to all that he knows has been fascinating outside of float therapy, other, you know, biohacking techniques. And then other than that, I listen to like news podcasts. I listen to the daily and that kind of stuff. Okay. Very cool. What part of Texas are you moving to? I am on South Congress, just South of Austin. South. Of okay. Down. Right by Joe Rogan. Huh? Exactly. There you go. You followed him over there. Very don't cool. Tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't tell him. So what's the best piece of business advice that you have ever received? Ooh, that's a good question. Could be one or two or three things too, you know, just doesn't have to yeah. necessarily be one. Yeah, I will. I would say it has been, um, I'm trying to think of who told me this to begin with. You know, I feel like it's something you hear all the time, but it's just to always keep learning. I feel like I always thought even in the last few years in my job that the beauty of franchising is it's easily replicatable. And once you figure it out, you just keep replicating it and everyone wins. And I have recently applied to get my MBA. I'm getting this certified franchise executive certification. And the amount that I've learned, the amount it's got my brain spinning, I wish I had done this so many years ago. And I am going to continue to take courses and just do things to better myself because there's so many people out there with amazing tips and tricks that I think I've just overlooked all this time. So keep learning. It's definitely going to be one. The other one, if I had to think of something that's been most impactful, it's probably going to be less, less reactionary. And that was something that I got from my dad was to sit, listen, hear what people have to say, think on it before I come up with a, a maybe a, a reaction that I think I know the answer to, or I think it's going to be really useful. And I haven't really spent the time to ruminate on what the best way is to approach what they're telling me. I may have the answer, but just 
giving it to them right then and there in a very blunt, aggressive way is not the way that they're going to take it. So uh, probably that piece that my dad's told me is something I've worked on the most in the last few years. That's a really good one. I think lots of leaders and, and people in general very often don't take time to really sit and think and really think through and formulate thoughts because we get all caught up in the day-to-day so easily. You know, you get dragged around to meetings and um, really it's so important to just really take time and sit and think and, and um, of course, listen and hear like mm-hmm. you were saying. And in my job too, with so many emails, you just want to just give them the answer and move on. And a few times too, you know, you realize there's trends. If the same people are asking you the same question over and over again or telling me, Mandy Rowe, the same uh-huh. thing, I got to stop and look at the trends that are coming at me if I'm not, if I'm not spreading the word well enough or I'm not educating other people well enough. Um, yeah, the answer is more in what I could be doing better, not just handing the answer over to them. Right, right. Have you ever heard of the book, The 4-Hour Workweek? I have. That's a Tim Ferriss book, right? Yeah, yeah. Have you read it? No, I have not read all of it. I've read the chapter on float therapy and that's all. Oh, there you go. Does he have, I, I haven't read it in so long. I probably didn't even know what float therapy was then. And I was like, just skimmed over it. But he talks about email in that book okay. and how to reduce email traffic by the way you write emails. Okay. And that's something I've really embraced because man, people are just so quick to just blast an email off and then it creates this chain of emails and then there's 30 people copied on it and you just, you just create work. You're just creating work for people with exactly. every email you send. And so I just become a lot more careful with how I word and how I send emails and, you know, nobody's perfect or anything. And, and yeah. I probably don't even follow all my rules all the time, but um, that's a big one, I think for sure. I'll have to go find that. I know I have the book cause it sits in my spa, but I haven't opened it. So yeah. He, he like talks about saying like uh, if then statements, you know, so like you almost like give them options to answer your questions and then you tell them, the next step. So, you know, you almost, you almost like think two or three emails down. So you okay. don't have, you don't have to have an exchange. So it's, yeah. you, know, you don't have to like wait for a response. So interesting, interesting concepts for sure. So you sit on several boards and work with multiple brands. How do you structure your day to ensure that you make the biggest impact? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you most recently living in Texas has given me a whole leg up because now I'm two hours ahead of my whole team in California. So I can get a lot done in the morning before everyone else comes to work. Um, And it's been changing a little bit because now I work from home where I didn't used to. I used to go and do an office and had a much different routine than I have now, which is nice because it's given me a little bit more flexibility to do things the way that I would like to do it. Um, But I'm always first making sure that I'm putting out any really big fires Um, which is just kind of looking at my inbox, making sure that, you know, no one needs my attention immediately. Um, And if there is, you know, make sure I tackle that. But otherwise, my priorities really come down to, you know, making sure that I'm supporting my franchisees, the ones who need me, the ones who um, are are waiting on my responses in order to get their doors open to start making money. Um, So those are my, I say my highest priority franchisees to begin with. And I try and get through those early in the morning because, the majority of them right now are on the East Coast, so I want to be respectful of getting that stuff done. And then before, um, I'd say before the week gets too far, usually on Mondays or Tuesdays, is when I love to look at statistics. I love my KPIs. I love looking at trends. I love looking at graphs. And I'll do that with really kind of all of my brands that either I consult with or I work with regularly, 
with my own stats of, again, email counts of um, social media for the different brands with their income, their revenue, their cancellation rates. And that really tells me a lot about what's happened in the last week. You know, where could we evolve? What can we do differently? And then we've got the rest of the week to really execute that and figure out in our day-to-day -day life, where do we need to be pivoting some of the strategy to, to help the whole brand out? So the, the stats are important to me early in the week. Um, cool. Yeah. And then I spend a lot of my free time. I always want to make sure that free time that I'm doing some more of that education or I'm reading, but as you know, cliche as it is, I do a lot of either meditation, of floating, just making sure I'm doing something to relax and have that work-life balance that really threw me for a loop when I started working from home and realizing my computer was in front of me all the time and I could work till 7 or 8 p.m. and not even blink an eye. Yeah, that uh, I think a lot of people have been struggling with that during this time. You're just always on now and, and it's hard to, hard to get away. So... As a young executive in a growing company, how have you found your voice? Has it been a has it been a challenge to really kind of find your voice in that scenario? You know, I wouldn't say that I've ever had a problem finding my voice. Again, I like being on I like being on a stage and in front of an audience, so I love to shout and be loud. So that wasn't hard. I've definitely had to change it over the last few years. That has definitely been um, an evolution for me personally. In the beginning, again, I think it was what my dad has done so well, I'm going to do well, and I'm going to take what he does, and I'm going to do the same thing, and they put a little bit of my own spin on it. But in the kind of business that we're in, we've got 42 franchisees. They come from all walks of life, and trying to find a communication style that works for the millennials, that works for the boomers, that works for our other executives, um, the guys that are creative and doing content for us, and the people who are coming from the corporate world and really have a lot stronger structure has been really interesting. And I've always tried to bring it back to who true rest is. Um, you know, what are our beliefs? What is the foundation of how we built this brand and what do I believe in it? And how can I communicate that opposed to trying to satisfy everybody? Um, and so I think my voice has definitely evolved into more of that listening and then making sure that the answers that I'm giving them are reflective of me and reflective of, of true rest. And again, not just satisfying everybody. And that has become a little bit different than my dad's voice, which people have definitely pointed out and acknowledged to me over the last few years, which I appreciate when someone points that out because they're seeing the growth that I think I'm having, but it's nice for someone to uh, recognize it. Definitely. Definitely. I've always struggled. You are a very high energy individual. I can tell you, you know, you're, you got that high energy and people and others that don't have that energy actually, you know, talking about podcasting, sometimes you may have maybe interviewing someone and, and, you know, you can just tell your, your energies kind of don't match. Right. And I've always kind of struggled with this. I'm curious your approach to this being a high energy individual, mm -hmm. you know, you said you've kind of had to change your voice a little bit. Are you an adaptive communicator like that? Is that kind of what you mean by changing your voice or what, what exactly do you mean by changing your voice? What's going on in your head? Yeah. Well, I think it used to be a little bit more um, aggressive, um, a little bit more loud that I know the answer. I'm going to give it to you, you know, listen up. And I definitely have franchisees again, that come from all walks of life and figuring out, um, you know, what their communication style is. I wouldn't say that my energy changes, but you know, what is important to them? Is it the numbers? Is it the, um, 
Is it about floating? Do they want to just feel that kind of warm and fuzzy? And I'm always giving them, you know, facts. They're true facts. I'm not skewing anything. I'm not being fake. I'm giving them what is real in our business. But, you know, everyone has that different thing that makes them excited. Um, and so trying to find that thing and then delivering how, you know, true rest matches that has been, I think, the most successful way that really I've been able to sell franchises. You know, people don't want to hear the same message over and over again. Not everyone's going to just cling on to that same thing that I'm passionate about. So you've got to find what they love. Sure. So talk a little bit more about True Rest and, you know, the largest float spa in the world. What, what about True Rest? Give us some info. What all are they doing? Yeah. yeah, well, for you and those that maybe had not heard of floating to begin with, it is just 10 inches of water and 1,000 pounds of Epsom salts. So you float completely effortlessly on top of the water in our float pod. And so the float pod is seven and a half feet long. We have some that are eight foot circles. They're really quite large, but people come in and float for pain relief, relaxation, and better sleep. And then our business model is based around the membership model. So we've got a lot of your stressed out corporate executives that come in for one float a month. I've got Navy SEALs in Coronado that come in for four hours because they really can't sleep at night. And this does help with better sleep. We've got our athletes that come in to work the lactic acid through their muscles when they're sore. Or Steph Curry, for example, says that he comes in to visualize. So finding that theta wave state of meditation where you can visualize, really practice or rehearse what's going to happen, what it's going to be like, really helps um, with actually achieving those goals later. So we've got a lot of um, diverse clients, but it really just comes down to a holistic environment of pain relief and relaxation and stress and stress changes everything. So you basically recreated the Dead Sea is, is how I think about it. It's double the Dead Sea. Dang. Yeah. Very cool. My wife and I were uh, in March when COVID hit, we had scheduled flights to go over to Israel for the first time and uh, Didn't do that. That, that got canceled. But um, right. yeah, anyway, super cool. Very cool. Yeah, is the one there... thing I recommend is just don't touch your eyes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It'd be very salty. Oh my goodness. Very cool. Yeah. And a lot of people, when they first come in, it's a new concept to them. So like they're fearful to let their head relax and let their mm -hmm. neck relax because they are afraid like water's going to get in my eyes. And I mean, the water takes complete care of you and you're completely in control of your experience. So if sensory deprivation freaks you out, you don't like that. No sound, no light, no gravity you can turn on the lights, you can play a meditation track, you can listen to intent-based music or creativity and problem-solving programs. There's a lot of ways to, to utilize your time in the float pod if sensory deprivation isn't quite what you were looking for. Sure, very cool. So let's talk about franchises more generally for someone who's not a huge franchise experienced person like myself and maybe others, you know, talk a little bit about the franchise industry in general and, and why it's really attractive to you and what is so awesome about it. Yeah. Well, like I said earlier, I'm so passionate about franchising. I, again, see myself being in this for the rest of my career. And what I found is you've got a validated concept that someone's already proven out, or at least, you know, ideally this is the way it works. Um, and other people are so passionate about what they just experienced with you. And whether that's home care, mowing the lawn, floating, um, massage, whatever it is that you go do. When you've got someone who's so passionate about your business that they wanna go open it themselves, 
you know you've got a op potential operator here who's going to be sharing the right message with your community and a chance to spread that awesome service or product to other parts of the country that you're not going to be able to get exposed to with your one location or even a few locations in one city. So I've loved every day talking to new people who have found float therapy for the first time over six years. And I think for the next few years, I'm still going to be talking to people who have found this and found some relief in their life. And spreading that message is really important to me from uh, helping veterans, helping people with fibromyalgia, helping people who need that. But the other side of the coin is finding these corporate executives who are burnt out of climbing the ladder, who are burnt out of their jobs, who want to be an entrepreneur, who want to be in business for themselves, but have never done that before. They're ready to jump in because they love float therapy. They're really savvy, smart people. And I'm able to give them all the tools and resources to get open and then run a successful business and watch them get out of that grind that was killing them and get them into serving their community and being in business for themselves. And the beauty of franchising and in a true rest model is it's easily scalable. So they don't have to have just the limit of one location. They could open 10 locations, they could open 200 locations. Um, and again, you're just replicating the same system. So the more that you open new locations, the better and better, hopefully you get at running those locations. Yeah. Super cool. I'm being a business in ignoramus. One of my goals this year was to become more business minded. And so I've just begun exploring business. And when you're talking about creating assets that are going to generate you income, you know, passive income assets, owning a business isn't necessarily passive, but you know, yeah. When when you get into business and you're new to it and you're dealing with like oh how do I how do I approach taking this risk you know and for someone who's an engineer like me maybe you're a little risk averse having a proven model like that is so key and you know as long as you got the capital to to start something like that it's uh, it's definitely something that creates leverage creates that duplication that's scalable that mm -hmm. uh, is very cool. Well, and there is a franchise fee really in every franchise. And in order for you to feel confident that you're going to pay that $40,000 to join a system, you've got to do your due diligence. And usually that means looking at multiple business models. And I'd say a lot of our prospects, they come to me a lot more um, invested in our brand because they looked maybe at 10 to 20 other businesses. And now they start to learn, well, what's going to be important for me when I run my business? What kind of support am I looking for? What kind of business model makes sense for my lifestyle? And I think just from learning about other businesses, that's also been really fun for me is to dig into all these other franchise models and figure out what are they doing well, because maybe I can be doing that better for my franchisees. Um, and it really just kind of gives everyone this baseline starting point of We've got a franchise. How do you support your team? What do you look at? Um, and how do you just make the whole system better? So I love franchising too, just because of the, the due diligence and the number of franchises out there that are running businesses successfully. So what's the number one thing you see franchisers doing poorly? And conversely, what's the number one piece of advice you would give to someone who's thinking about starting a franchise? Yeah. So you mean franchisor as in like what I'm doing from this level, or you mean like the people on the street who are actually running the business, the franchisees? Both. Okay. Pick, pick your, yeah. pick your poison. Yeah. I'm going to start with the franchisor and I'm fortunate to be in a industry where there is not a lot of competition. There are not a lot of other float spas, but I would say that a lot of 
franchisors out there that I have um, seen, they've got a good concept, but maybe they haven't quite done all the research on their competition to know that they really need to find something that differentiates them, that really makes them unique. And sometimes that is just the way that they support their franchisees and they do a really good job with execution. Um, but I think learning, you know, what it is that sets you apart and what's going to make, you know, Karen in, in the grocery store come to you opposed to the competitor um, a few years down the road, maybe there's always going to be competition in the future. And if you don't have that message super nailed down, you're going to really end up shooting yourself in the foot. When it comes to the franchisees, so the people who are actually running the business, I would say it's looking at all the different brands that are out there and finding what you're passionate about, not just what makes money. There's a lot of concepts out there you could do that will make you maybe more money than what we're doing. But if you don't love it, it doesn't get you out of bed in the morning, you may not be successful at it. And you're going to be one of those bottom performers that, that they warn you about, not because, you know, it's not feasible, but because you just don't enjoy doing it every day. Yeah. I, I have one of my mentors in business that talks about uh, getting advice on, on business from somebody and, and maybe they're, maybe you're getting advice on a gym membership and someone's like, Oh yeah, that gym membership, it doesn't work. You know, it's no good, but you know, how, how much did they work out? What did they do in the gym? What did they eat? You know, there's all these components that, that go into being successful with anything. And just like in business, you know, very few businesses actually succeed and there's certain things you must do to succeed. And um, I really love what you said about setting yourself apart and really knowing what sets you apart. Cause I think that's such a good metaphor for individuals even to know their strengths and, and really know what sets them apart from the crowd and, and really know their strengths. And I don't think I ever really thought about this until this year was, you know, I would always been focused on training and trying to build up my weaknesses. And I, you know, listening to folks like Gary V talking about how, you, you know, really double down on your strengths and higher to your weaknesses was a, something I never thought about before. And um, it's really kind of changed my approach. And I, and I really love what you said about, you know, learning what sets you apart and differentiates you from your competition is just yeah. so key. Cause that's what also what draws people to you. I mean, even you as an individual, you know, what your weaknesses are, it's why someone's going to find you as an, an opportunity to, to either teach or to work with you and you know, leveraging all of our strengths, collective strengths and weaknesses is I think what even makes a successful company. For sure. Definitely. So one of my favorite questions to ask on the podcast, thinking about technology these days and how we don't know who might see this sometime down the road. I just had a baby girl in September, you know, who knows who might, she might see her dad talking to one day long after he's gone, or if she ends up having kids, you know, they're going to watch grandpa Phil talking to, you know, their great aunt Mandy Rowe or whoever. Right. Um, what would you leave them with? If you could only leave them with three pieces of advice. What would they be? Ooh. I mean, the first one, which has been important to, to me right now is finding in the job that you do the way to give back through that job. And I think anyone and everyone has that opportunity. And I would say, you know, your job can be redundant day after day, but if you've got whatever that, organization is or that demographic is that you know that you're helping when you wake up in the morning and it's not a self-serving um, you know organization or self-serving passion 
it's going to get you so much farther in life and it's going to open up so many other doors and opportunities. Um, that would be the first one. The second one would probably just be to explore, to have fun and just get out there. I see people, friends of mine doing like this same circular loop with their jobs over and over again, or in the same industry, trying to climb a ladder, but just grinding it out. And they just, in my opinion, aren't really taking the opportunity to see where they could take their strengths and do something different that they're gonna enjoy a lot more. Um, or where maybe there's an open door with an opportunity for them to, um, you know, join a new industry. And I think just learning what's out there is the best way to do that. Um, and you, you know, you don't learn what's out there by sitting in your bedroom. You know, you actually have to get out there and meet people and explore new places and see what everyone else is doing. So, you know, don't get in that grind where you're just constantly working and bogging yourself down. You've got to get out and explore and have some fun. Those are great ones. I really go on and exploring, you know, again, being a risk averse person and you think being a baseball guy, I'd be used to the failure thing, but you know, I'm just learning too, that failure, you know, we learn through our failures and if you're afraid to go fail, you know, you're not going to get very far. So yeah. don't, don't be afraid to fail necessarily. There's instances where failure is really not an option, but you know, in the vast majority of instances, you really think through failures, not all that bad. And no. it just puts you in a position to learn and be better the next time. I was just going to say, and learning how to fail makes you better at failing next time. You know, you fail quickly and you move on. Yeah, I like that. Learning how to fail makes you better at failing next time. So, Mandy, if people want to find you, this has been super fun. Let people know where they can find you and learn more about True Rest. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, if you're interested in, in float therapy, then you can follow me on Instagram, it's Mandy M. Rowe. And I post a lot about float pods and float pod installations, um, but truerest.com is our website. So that's a great place to get your first float, learn about floating. Uh, if you wanna learn more about franchising in general, probably go find me on LinkedIn. And I've got some of my consulting experience and the other brands that I work with listed there. Awesome, Mandy. Well, thanks for being on the show. I really do appreciate it. I'm glad Anne, our mutual friend, connected us. And yeah. uh, this was fun. Thanks for having me. Yep. You take care. Talk soon. If you think someone would benefit from hearing this episode or any of this content, please share it and send them over to goleadeverything.com to learn more. It has been amazing to hear about all the individuals who listen to and are getting value from the content here at GLE. Thank you for your support. You are the reason we do what we do. See you next time. And go lead.